a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Whether it's the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, or Aggies. These guys have got you covered. I fellas. You're locked on to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. One, two, three. Move on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. Let me set this up real quick, Ben, because you just sent out a tweet with some news. But I come in, uh, you know, the Jazz lost last night. Ben's looking gloomy. Looks like a, a, close. a character out of the Transylvania cartoon that's all the, the race. Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, that, uh, that whole thing. Uh, just bringing the whole vibe of, of really the building down. And uh, now you uh, tweet out the all-star voting, which doesn't look uh, all that promising for the Jazz players. Donovan Mitchell remains in eighth for the Utah Jazz among uh, guards in the Western Conference. Rudy Gobert stays in ninth. Uh, that's where they were last week as well. Donovan Mitchell's actually dropped a spot. I think he opened at seventh. Uh, in the first round of voting and has since been passed by Russell Westbrook, who got benched last night in the fourth quarter because Frank Vogel, who knows he's about to get fired in the coming weeks, probably before the All-Star break, uh, said, well, I'm going to put out the guys, I'm going to put the guys on the floor that I think I can win with, which is the most direct shot you can take at Russell Westbrook. Uh, And, in fact, a front office who's going to fire you and blame you for this roster, like you've talked about, Jake, even though it's certainly not Frank Vogel's fault that He's got a bunch of million-year-old players on his roster and guys who don't win games like Russell Westbrook. And everyone knew Russell Westbrook doesn't win you basketball games. He puts up stats, but he does not win you basketball games. He's somehow in front of Donovan Mitchell as well. But the gap between Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul in front of him is 140,000 votes, which may not seem like a lot, but it's pretty huge all considering you're just not going to be able to catch him. But man, do you see the numbers Steph Curry has? Steph Curry has 6 million votes, and the next closest player is John Morant among guards in the Western Conference. And he has 2.6 million. But also, how do you take that if you're Donovan Mitchell, where the rumor is you may want to play in a bigger market because you don't get enough votes on the all-star voting, and John Morant is number two in the West right now and has 2.6 million votes? Like, he's playing in Memphis. Yeah, I agree. That's an interesting point because it's certainly a small market that gets back to like our, he's the our, smallest of our markets conversation yesterday. Um, 
The, his style of play certainly contributes to that. But but I don't think his numbers are better than Donovan Mitchell's this no, year. No, they're not. Now, his team is better than the Jazz are. But, at the moment, yeah. But, he, you know. And he's doing more than Donovan Mitchell's but being But he's also to. still, he's doing the things that Donovan Mitchell did in his first couple Correct. of years. Flying to, over to everybody. To get attention. And it'll be interesting to see where Jaw's game evolves. I'm actually really excited to see how his game evolves. He will get better the way Donovan Mitchell did. Yeah. And he will have an ankle injury or something that puts him on the ground more. And he'll realize it is so much effort to jump. Yeah, he's not going to be flying over everybody. You don't need forever. to do it. No. But you don't need to. You get better at finishing and angles and stuff like that. So here's my, here's my point. Any sort of all-star voting involving fans anymore is really dumb, and it's been really dumb for a long time. These these leagues, and you know what? The best example of this is that wonky football team that tried to make it in this market for a half a second. Where they, these leagues get it in their minds, like fan engagement is a really good the thing. Stallions. The stallion. No, 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 no. It was the, it was the one that played at the Maverick Center where you could uh, oh, use the an other app, one. Tell them like what the Eagles or something. Tell them what the play Eagles? to call. Yeah, where they said, "Hey, you can name the team." The first thing they did is this is going to be a total fan run organization, yeah. starting with name the team. And the and team was like the app, and you call the players. And, yeah, and yeah. the team was like Teamy McTeamface or Storm and Mormons, and they were yeah. like, "Oh, and the uh, Screaming Eagles made a comeback at Screaming the last Eagles, moment, or right. whatever it was." And it's just the dumbest idea ever because fans are a, a cool team. <laughs> fans are a very diverse, let's say, group. Of people that some take things seriously, some don't. When it comes to All Star voting, some fans find loopholes. Yao Ming started on every All Star game, All Star team he was available to because they had tapped into the Chinese market, and all of a sudden these millions of votes are coming yeah. from overseas that totally skew everything. And that was before it was about social media and hashtags well, and even all in, this stupid. And they've tried to fix that stupid by stuff. saying, "Well, now fan votes only count for half, and media gets the other half," which is an even dumber solution. Yeah. And fans, let's pretend for a second that fans know exactly actually know what they want to see which they don't you know who's a, let's see I was looking on this who's above uh, who's above Rudy Carmelo Anthony right you don't want to see Carmelo Anthony in the all-star game not not this year no you don't no Wiggins Andrew it's a Wiggins. bunch of it's a bunch of fans of teams and or, you know what's really people funny? that it's so stupid Gobert's like a cool all-star player like, I didn't think he would be good in the All-Star game. I thought Donovan Mitchell would be a better All-Star game player. You actually get him to the All-Star game, and Donovan Mitchell kind of blends in because there's a bunch of guys who do what Donovan they can do does. what he does, yeah. which is run, dunk, shoot threes, and they're bigger than he is. Rudy Gobert, he's so unique on the floor in the All-Star game that, like, he catches lobs that you can't throw to anybody else on the floor. He blocks shots when nobody else is blocking shots. Like, Gobert actually adds some intrigue to the All-Star game. And look, both Donovan and Rudy Gobert are going to make it as long as the Jazz don't absolutely fall apart over the next couple of weeks, which is possible. But both these guys are going to get chosen as reserves by the coaches. But yes, I'm with you. The fan voting's a little bit ridiculous. Player voting is even more stupid. Just let the coaches pick the teams. I agree with you. Pick the starters, whatever you want. The, just let the coaches who have the best seat in the house when it comes to evaluating talent currently playing in the NBA, and let that be your. It'll be a better game. It'll be a better roster. It won't. There won't be these. You know. Well, Donovan Mitchell can't get the recognition in Utah, which I'm sure he's thinking. I'm sure Donovan today opened Ben Anderson's tweet at BenZoops.com and said to he himself, "Follow me on Twitter." Said to himself, eighth, eighth. What? I don't think he follows me. Does that hurt your feelings? Gabby Union uh, liked your uh, your uh, tweet the other day, Ben. Does you that know, help? I'm not a showboat. I don't need to talk about that necessarily. But 
No, it doesn't bother me that players don't. You don't actually want players following you. I, you know, I don't tag players in stories that I write about them necessarily. And it's not because I'm hiding it. Like, like I said two days ago, everyone sees everything. If they want to find it, they can find it. Go to kslsports.com. Like, I'm at every press conference. They know they know who I am. They know where, who I write for. Like, Quinn Snyder knows who I write for. Justin Zanuck knows who I write for. Danny Ainge might not yet at this point. But, like, it's not hard. They listen to the show. Everyone knows what's going on. Uh, if they want to find it, they can. You don't need to seek them out and tag them. No, it doesn't bother me that Donovan Mitchell doesn't follow me on Twitter. But a little bit, though. I can hear it in your voice. You're hurt. It's okay. I just feel bad now. Again, your gloomy dress. <laughs> you need to brighten it up. Brighten it up. Sprinkle right. in a little color. We're going to talk about the Jazz coming up in the top three stories uh, in about 15 minutes. Can I ask you this, though, because we kind of had this conversation off the air, and it goes into a little bit bigger picture conversation okay. right now. And I actually think it has to do with front offices because I actually think I've, – I've had a lot of people ask me this question. I will circle back to it and address this question of how do I think Danny Ainge's presence in the front office is affecting jazz players on the floor? And I will answer that coming up here in just a couple of minutes because I think it's kind of worth talking about it. But I'm not going to blame it all on Danny Ainge to give you a, a teaser of what's going on. We were talking about the Dallas Cowboys and how stupid Jerry Jones was to not pay Dak Prescott originally and then circle back and have to basically double his salary to keep him around and then they lose in the first round to the San Francisco 49ers who have arguably the worst quarterback in the playoffs, right? I mean, maybe Ben Roethlisberger was, but at least he had some experience. But as far as talent, like Ben's washed. Garoppolo's probably the least, certainly the least talented still playing in the playoffs this weekend. What would, is there a worse franchise to be a front office member of than the Dallas Cowboys right now because the owner is so involved in everything. In fact, he is the general manager. Like, is there a worse front office to be a part of than Jerry Jones? Because he still probably makes the decision not to pay Dak, waits to pay him, finally pays him, and then probably blames the people around him for not paying him sooner. So I'm going to answer yes, but not for the, the reasons you might think. Okay. Yes, because Lord knows what you had to do to get there. Because Jerry Jones strikes me as a bit of a yes man. Oh, wow. Or, or wanting people oh, around him that, that are yes men. Was his son-in-law that was washing his glasses yeah, for him? Yeah, right. So, so if you get to be you know, like assistant GM or whatever in Dallas, what did you actually have to do to get there? And I don't want to know because I wouldn't do it. Correct. So, Correct. yes, for that reason. I mean, you can, you can say, hey. I'm assistant GM of the Cowboys and probably gets you a date or two. But what 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 kind of boot licking did you have to do right. to actually get there? And talk about an empty suit. I yes. mean you'd be like, 100%. Oh, I, I've got I've got decision making power. Hey Jerry, we should do this. No? No. Oh, okay. All right. Uh well uh I'm gonna be in my office. Let me know if I can get you some coffee. Right. You glasses have a smudge? I'll fix them up for you. So yeah, I would probably say yes. Although Dan Snyder's front office might not be a real... Well, there are some that are like truly toxic. Obviously, there are some toxic... Yeah, Mike Mayock doesn't know what he's doing with the Raiders. Like, that didn't work very well. Al Davis probably has some issues working in that front office. Could potentially be a problem. Speaking of Dallas teams, the Mavericks front office didn't sound real great there for a minute. Yeah, and I think Cuban at least was willing to address a problem after he turned a blind eye to After it for two years it. <laughs> and it came out public on the athletic or ESPN oh, or whoever reported oh, I should it. do something about I this had no now. idea yeah. mm. so to bring in our conversation of front offices I've been asked by a lot of jazz fans to circle back to this a little bit of just like what are bad front offices to work in and I've had a lot of people ask me do I think 
the team is playing tighter or scared because Danny Ainge got hired. And Danny Ainge has a reputation of being cutthroat when it comes to making trades. We remember the Isaiah Thomas trade when, like, he put off surgery on his hip and wanted to get paid and went and took his the sister team, died. whatever, all this stuff, and then didn't get the money and traded him. And you know what? Made the right trade. Went out and got Kyrie Irving, and I know Kyrie didn't work out, but it was still the right trade. You traded Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving, who's the top fifteen player in the NBA. In retrospect, that's a pretty darn good trade, actually, even if, if Kyrie's not everything you uh, thought he was cracked up to be. I'm going to say no, based purely on the fact that I'm not going to place the blame on Danny Ainge or on Justin Zanuck's shoulders or if it had been Dennis Lindsay or Ryan Smith, the owner. Like, I'm not, I don't think it's because of who the people are. I do think there's a bit of a powder keg going on right now with the Utah Jazz that the expectation is to compete for a championship. The players set that up as the expectation before the season, saying they need to make a deeper run to the playoffs. They are thinking they are a championship contender. And then you get to the middle of the season and you don't have any of the winning habits that you talked about needing to have and nothing is fixed clearly that needed to be fixed as we've gone back to our conversation about the defense needing to be better. That obviously... You're putting pressure on the front office to make moves. So that pressure then circles back down of feeling like, hey, one of us is going to get moved. This is not going to be the roster going forward when we get to mid-February, when we get the All-Star break, or when we're coming back from the All-Star break. All these guys who are in this locker room now are not going to be here. And it's this big game of Clue of trying to figure out who's the body. Of, of you know Who's going to be the, the, the player that is not here any longer. And Joe Ingles talks about it every week on uh, DJ and PK he comes through and then it's talked about not knowing who he's going to be a part of uh, you know I was reading Brian Windhorst big trade thing that was in ESPN yesterday he mentioned D- DJ and PK's interview with Joe of Joe saying I love these guys I support these guys I want this team to win a championship if I'm not here I'd still be happy for them if they can get guys who can do it but I would love to be around for it there is just a lot of pressure that's obvious in this locker room and that is the human nature of it going back to our conversation that we had with Randy Ray the human nature, you can never pull it out of basketball. You can never pull it out of sports. And it's one of the things you constantly have to battle. And maybe the best example I've ever seen of it was Gordon Hayward getting kind of thrown to the wolves by Dennis Lindsay saying, go prove to us that you can get a max contract in the season. We're not going to give you an early extension. Go prove you can get it. He played awful that year with his contract, needing to earn a max contract hanging over his head. And then the Jazz made him go find it on the open market and he never got over it. Like, the human nature is very clearly there for players, even good players. And I think the human nature of this Jazz team knowing a trade is coming and not knowing who it's going to be is probably affecting them. But I don't think that's Danny Ainge's fault or Justin Zanuck's fault or Ryan Smith's fault or Quinn Snyder's fault or anybody. Oh, no, it's it's their fault. But I agree I agree with what you just said. It, it comes down to the timing of the change in ownership it has some ripple effects. And the timing and, and, of bringing and, Danny Ainge But, but the, this is my point. is The, the Jazz sell at a high-water mark. Not the high-water mark, yes. but a high-water mark. Much like the Houston Rockets to Tillman Fertitta. <laughs> much like RSL to Deloitte Hansen. Yes. Yeah. You sell at this high-water mark, and then all of a sudden the new ownership has to say, well, do I just want to keep it as is? Do I want to make my mark on it? Do I want to change? How is that going to go? Is that always for a positive? Actually, if you look at the Rockets, the answer to that is no. Horrible. If you look look at RSL, bad. Not good. Yeah. So, and I'm not, you know, it's not to say that that's how it's 
always going to go. But of course, Ryan Smith buying the team. Yeah, he hasn't tinkered, Ben. No, in fact, he's invested a lot to keep the things the same. But he got rid of Dennis Lindsay. Correct. He got rid of the the GM. He got rid of the number one yes. operations basketball yeah. guy. The VP of basketball. The ops. most yep. important position in the franchise yep. outside of the owner itself. Yep. And honestly, you could have said with a, Gale that Dennis was more important. Sure. Gale yes. was the boss, but Dennis was pulling the strings. So my wife's gone through this before in her career. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that can identify. The new CEO comes in. What's the new CEO going to do? Who's the new CEO bringing with them? What are those people going to do? All of a sudden, we see in coaching changes in college football where the players, you know, you either get uh, one performance or the other with new coaches in bowl games, right, Ben? When the the other coach goes out, you either get a super inspired performance because yep. they're trying out for the new coach, or you get the whole team dogging it because they know they're gone. Oregon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you, there you go. Great example. And so Danny Ainge comes in. And Oklahoma, actually. The funny thing is, both of those teams, you got both of those examples right. in Oregon and Oklahoma. You get Danny Ainge coming in, and yeah, it is his fault. And it is Ryan Smith's fault. And there is a trickle-down effect to it. Because you removed Dennis Lindsay and replaced him with an outsider who doesn't have a connection to Joe Ingles. Sure. Sure. Boyan okay, Bogdanovich, Hassan Whitehead. And, and when we say blame, that sounds like such yeah, a negative we need thing. To def- we need to define fault in that sense because fault seems like we're saying you're the reason the Jazz are playing bad as opposed to this is the ripple effect of the timeline. Now, it'd be one thing if you were Deloy Hansen and said, hey, this guy Andy Carroll has been kissing my rear for years, so I'm putting him in charge, and all of a sudden things go terribly and everybody's surprised, right? Ryan Smith brings in Danny Ainge, who, to your point, has a really good track record as a front office yes. guy. Yes. And obviously, knows what he's doing so it's a little bit different of an angle but of course it's going to send a message to the team like listen there are going to be changes coming because that's what happens when you replace the ceo or in this case well i guess danny age is is ceo right and here's the thing honestly you don't bring you don't ryan smith is too smart to not have prepared for that or not have understood that that would be the ripple effect because everyone knew that about i mean Danny Ainge's press conference. Everyone asked him, what do you think of this roster? Is this roster built right? Locke asked him, you have a uh, strong history of being defined as the, you know, one of the biggest competitors in sports. Like, you're pretty cutthroat. Everyone knows that about you. Scotty G tweeted that out. Said, we, we know that he's cutthroat. That, that his, is his reputation. Everyone knew that about Danny Ainge. It was no secret. And it's no secret to Ryan Smith either. I mean, Ryan knows him better than anybody. Yep. He grew up with him. Best friends with his son. Like, they knew this about him. And I don't think you bring him in accidentally unless you were thinking that there were possibilities that that might be something you have to do. So you had to be prepared for this to be the fallout. So, no, I don't blame Danny Ainge. But I also don't think it's accidental that the Jazz brought in Danny Ainge when they did. And the ripple effects of that are probably some of the reasons why there might be feeling like there's pressure inside the locker room. Where Jordan Clarkson has talked about being traded midseason, where Joe Ingles goes on the radio right here on this station and talks about he doesn't know if he's going to be here and it would be obvious if he was the player who gets moved. Like, it clearly is a conversation in that locker room right now. Whether it's being had between players or not, or the players and their significant others or their families or whatever, it is clearly on the minds of players. I don't know if that's the reason they're playing poorly, but it might not be helping. It's it's easier to change GMs when the team is bad. Yes. Changing GMs when the team is good is tough. Yep. 
But that doesn't mean it's the wrong move either. Uh, no, 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 no. But it, it's 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 much more uh, much more difficult. All right, we're going to give away some tickets coming up right around the corner. So make sure and stay tuned for that. We've got the top three stories at kslsports.com coming up next. Jake and Ben, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty of the zone. What time is it? It's half past the hour and time to talk Utah Jazz. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at thirty update. Ring the thirty-point bell. bell, bell. Jazz at 30 update here on Jake and Ben on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz coming off a rough home loss to the Rockets. Here's Rudy Gobert on if he's worried about uh, this Jazz team. I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. Obviously, we competitors. I'm a competitor. No one likes to lose. I'm just happy to be playing. I think after a little bit of rest, we're going to be better. But every night is an opportunity. And it's the NBA. For us, it's like having the same focus on the things that we need to focus that maybe are not as fun, which is defense. And then offensively, you know, we move the ball and it's fun. This update is brought to you by Five Star Painting. Refresh the inside or outside of your home with a five-star experience with Five Star Painting. They've got the time, skills, and tools. FiveStarPainting.com. That's FiveStarPainting.com. Who's got it better than us? No! Sports coverage in Utah. You're listening to Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. All right. Jake Jake and Ben. Ben. (laughs) 97.5. 1280 The Zone. We can both do it at the same time, right? All right. Uh, ben, it's time for the top three stories at kslsports.com. Let's jump right into it. It's brought to you each and every day by our friends at J. Brooks Jewelers. Uh, all right, uh, Megan, let's go ahead and get started. Number one. The Utah Jazz take on the Detroit Pistons tomorrow night at 7. Do you care anymore, Jake? Do I care anymore? <laughs> sure. Let me ask. Let me tell you why I framed it that way. The story for the Jazz, unfortunately, has surpassed games on the floor. Okay. The bigger story now for the Jazz is taking place off the floor because the problems are so obvious on the court. The issues on the court are so obvious that I don't think there's a new storyline to be read out of each game. The bigger story now is going to be what happens with the team before the trade deadline. The, The roster makeup of this team, I think, over the next three weeks is surpassing what is happening game to game. And that's unfortunate because that's... You, if you do that, you're a championship contender or you're a team that has serious flaws. And right now the Jazz are not a championship contender. In my opinion, they're a team that has serious flaws. I think stopping the bleeding is still a storyline. I'm not... Hold my breath for that is the problem. Okay. But I mean, the Denver win, I thought, was uh, a big story but, because they played well and they came together. But and, that's the exact problem, right? Like, they did. They played and well. Then they fell apart again. But, and then yeah, they yeah. lost to the lowly Lakers and the Houston Rockets in back-to-back games that they shouldn't have lost. Yeah, but this gets back to, are we reassessing expectations? And I'm not. I don't expect this to be the Jazz team, whether they make a move or not, for the remainder of the year. What do you mean? They're not this bad. Yeah, they're not this bad. I mean, they've lost six out of seven games, and they've lost two of them are to the worst teams in the they've NBA. Been in the and they top had three COVID, in the West and yes, yes, all yes. year leading up to this, they're not this bad. I agree with you. Even and if even they then, don't make a move, this is not the rest of the season. If somebody, let's say they fall to six and they end up with a six-three matchup and they go up against the Memphis Grizzlies, I'm picking the Jazz to beat the Memphis That's Grizzlies in the playoffs. Absolutely. You know, I, I still am because of experience, because of everything coming together. But I do feel like personally, we've seen the the top of this team. 
We've seen this team at its peak. I don't think they have the pieces to be better than we've seen them. And I wondered this year going into the season if, hey, another year together will fix the chemistry of the defense. Another year together, these guys will start playing better. They'll get better offensively. And that's going to fix it. And I think as I made the analogy earlier in the game, earlier in the, the show, you're on a vine. Every team, the story of your team is you're swinging vine to vine. And ideally, it's smooth, and you catch one vine at the end of its upswing, you let go of it, and you grab the next one, and it carries you to the, the, the next spot. And hopefully, before it expires and you leave the jungle, you end up at the championship trophy. And that's what the Milwaukee Bucks did. They swung through players and players and players, and they had guys they liked until eventually, you know, it wasn't George Hill. They landed on Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday helped carry him to the championship. That was the vine they caught on to. The Jazz are at the end of this specific vine with this specific roster. And that's not to say the core pieces are wrong or the top five pieces are wrong, but for whatever reason, the nine pieces they use most often are not the right pieces and they need to let go and move on to the next vine. And that's where I think the biggest storyline is, and that's why one-off games against the Detroit Pistons are not the biggest storyline to me anymore for this team. And I would guess your opinion would be somewhat different, not on the move front, but about the optimism about this club if they went 3-1 and one in that stretch that's coming up. I will change my opinion if the Jazz go 3-1 and one against the Phoenix Suns, who they play twice, the Golden State Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Which I'm not going to say is going to happen, certainly how they're playing now, but it's, it could happen. It could, but it, there's zero evidence that it's going to. Oh, I wouldn't say that. They've got, they went on a great run earlier this year. <laughs> earlier this year? But they've lost like six of seven. Ago. We, it, it, before Christmas, you and I were talking about if they were going to go undefeated in the month of December, which was a very realistic thing that could have happened. Right. To go undefeated in the NBA for an entire month. They had the NBA Western Conference Player of the Month. Yep. Oh, they so won. what do you mean zero evidence that that's even possible? What are you talking about? Because it's fallen apart since then. Because okay, it, it, yeah, be, because so put it back together. That's not out of the realm. I don't think they can. That's what I don't believe. I don't think they can. Yeah, they had an eight game winning streak. They had a six game winning streak. They they were playing at a high level that you believed it that that was going to be sustainable. There's, there's some mental fortitude there. Get over it. Go out and play hard. I don't believe it. I've lost faith in it. Oh, I'm sorry for you. Yeah. But it's certainly a possibility. I'm not count it out. You don't have to. I will. I'll do it for us. I I'll do it tell. for the show. Uh, it's yeah. all right. Yeah, I've I've seen it. I, I've I've seen the peak of what this jazz team can be as currently constructed. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're probably listening and go. Let's prove that Ben wrong. I I hope I don't matter that much. You are going to be the galvanizing factor. <laughs> it's going to be you. Congratulations. Just having and then you do the same thing. You do the pre and post game shows, covering the games as often as we do. Uh, the way your perspective on the team changes, you know, the the storylines and what the biggest storylines are. What I'm reading into and what I'm seeing, uh, it is the biggest storylines are now off the floor for the team. Because, I, like I said, I think they're taking on water more quickly than they can get rid of it. Fair enough. I think they're still a top three team in the West. I think they're better in Memphis, which is an opinion you agree with. So, In a playoff series, yeah, I think they would probably still beat Memphis. There you go. All right. I don't, I don't think that's an appropriate bar for where they are and how much money they've got invested in the team and where they are supposed to be in their championship window. Different argument. Yeah. Number two. Utah All-American Luther Ellis named Utes defensive tackles coach. How about that? Bringing what, all the greats back, What man. do you think about this? 
Uh, I think uh, much like Quinton Ganther, I think Luther Ellis can sell his Utah success story. And like Quinton Ganther, I kind of like Luther's uh, resume too. Not as not as full as Quinton's not was. Not at all. But he's had some experience coaching and coaching at a place where it's not necessarily all that easy to coach in Idaho. Correct. Uh, and yeah, it, that's the thing. It's not the cute. It's not a cute hire of a guy who played D tackle but has zero experience. It's not USC hiring Lynn Swan as their athletic Correct. director. <laughs> Correct. And there are cute hires that are somewhat silly. And sometimes they work. I mean, Deion Sanders had actually done some coaching, right? So good for Deion. He what it was like high school, right? Before, but he's also not coaching. You know, a very high level D one division program. Now Deion's still getting you know guys to come in and commit to his program. Good for Deion. But regardless, this is not that type of cute hire. I do think the question for Luther Ellis is, are you going to be able to go out and recruit? Are you going to be able to go out and get some of the bodies that you need? Because honestly, the D-line at Utah is going to be fine. But you do need to get the dudes. The good news is the dudes generally end up at Utah. Well, and like I said, the message that he can send out there yes. and go say, hey, I yeah. played for a decade in I mean, the NFL. He's arguably the greatest Utah football player of all time. Like He's in the conversation. With what he did at the university? Not counting pro stuff. Not that his pro stuff wasn't was he's very terrific. Good. Yeah, medium, but like what he did at Utah, who he was at the time. Yeah, he's got an argument. He's like he's on the all time Utah football team. He's on. The oh no, no, no doubt. I'm trying to think if he's the if he's the goat though for his time at Utah. Hmm. The, I mean, he is the name because Weddle is better in the NFL. But there is not a player in Utah football history who gets more referenced for their time at Utah by people within the program, including Kyle Whittingham, than Luther Ellis. And he was... Like, Witt brings up Luther Ellis all the time. Well, the, the thing is, is he was on Mac's best team, and he was by far the best player. And he was by far the best player in the conference at the time. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I, could, I could come along with that. I certainly would listen to the argument. Maybe yeah. it's not the answer, but uh, I certainly would listen to it. He's so. in the conversation. You know, and yeah, definitive, hard to find and, the top but, 10. But uh, here's where you're right. It doesn't matter if he can coach a lick. Can he get players on campus? Yeah. Yeah. That's what matters. Right. Yeah, yeah. you can make an argument for Weddle. You can make an argument for Alex Smith. Uh, the coaching is going to be fine. I mean, he's going to be able to do the coaching. Can he go out and recruit and get some of these big players and, and convince J2 Fele not to go to USC? You know, can he convince him to go to Utah instead? Those are going to be the questions for the Utes. And, and you know, they were even fine without J2 Fele, actually. They actually were pretty good <laughs> on the defensive line, even without the four- and the five-star kids that leave the state of Utah. But it's even easier if you can keep them around, and I think that's going to be a, a big story for the Utes. I also think, looking at some of these hires, they don't paint the idea to me that Kyle Whittingham's looking for these four- and five-year solutions for some of these jobs. Because I don't think Kyle Whittingham's thinking four- and five years ahead for his career anymore. Likely not. All right, up next... Number three. Five-star transfer quarterback Jackson Dart visits BYU football. Oh, Jake, we said this when he was announcing that he was leaving uh, USC in the transfer portal because they got the new head coach. We said it doesn't make any sense to come to Utah because Cam Rising's too good and is, what, only going to be a junior next year? Like, he'll probably be at Utah for the next two seasons unless something miraculous happens next year. But BYU, they've got a good quarterback's room, but it's certainly not impenetrable. And it's not like if Jackson Dart committed to BYU, he wouldn't expect himself to be the front runner to win that starting job if he went in today, even with Jaron Hall. Jackson Dart would go in thinking, I'm the most talented player in this room, and I have a chance to win this starting job, which is the only reason why he visited BYU. The same would be true at Utah. Why do you automatically say that wouldn't be true at Utah? 
Because Cam Rising just took Utah to the Rose Bowl yeah, and won the Pac-12. Cam Rising's really good. So Jackson, Dart, Jackson, so Jackson Dart, Dart, but he didn't do that at USC. I don't think he's he, visiting Utah, not because Utah doesn't want him. I think he's not visiting Utah because he doesn't want to visit Utah. I agree with that. I also don't think he would be the favorite to win the starting job at Utah. Maybe, but that's certainly possible, too. Jackson Dart was a great recruit, and he played really well last yeah. year. Oh, yeah. Very good. And he's much more has much more di- he's much more dynamic, say, than Rising, and certainly a higher top end. But I mean, you I could just, never give him the job over Cameron Rising. But but to say that Utah, he, he wouldn't visit Utah because he wouldn't win the job at Utah, I don't think. I think Utah would take Jackson Dart on their team anytime. Oh, yeah, but, anytime. but he knows he's coming in as a backup. He's not going anywhere to be a backup, though. He's going to BYU because he's going to take Jaron Hall's job. If he goes to BYU, it's because he's starting game one. He's not going to BYU to compete for his job. I, I don't disagree with that. Because he's got too many opportunities elsewhere, West Virginia, Ole Miss, guys that are going to the NFL. He's going to go in and take a job as a starter in college football. And Utah's starting quarterback job is not open. Neither is BYU's, really. Uh, BYU's is more open than Utah's. Is it? A lot more. Oh, a lot more. Yes. No offense to Jaron Hall, but it's a lot more open. Okay. Utah just won the Pac-12 championship, and Cam Rising's the best quarterback they've had in, you know. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the, the Tyler Huntley was very good, but Cam Rising coming back, going into his junior season, is better than Tyler Huntley was going into his junior season. Okay. But Tyler Huntley left Utah football as a better quarterback than Cam Rising is right now. Yes. Cam Rising will leave Utah as a better quarterback than Tyler Huntley Maybe. will be. Maybe. Sure. So okay. I think if you look at where they are in their class, Cam Rising's got as good a trajectory as any quarterback. Certainly Utah's had since they've been in the Pac-12. But to say that Utah wouldn't take Jackson Dart because no, they 100% Cam Rising would. has it sewn up, I don't think is, is No, they would the take him. Jackson Barton wouldn't go to Utah because Cam Rising has it he'll, sewn up. And I feel like there's more cracks in BYU's quarterback room that you could potentially go in and win that starting job. I think he'll end up with the lane train. I think you're probably Ole right. Ole Miss is a good team. There's an opportunity to go in there and start. Lane has a decent reputation when it comes to coaching quarterbacks. I agree with you. And honestly, Jackson Bart's, Jackson Dart, excuse me, I keep wanting to say Jackson Barton, Jackson Dart's timeline to starting and trying to go to the NFL doesn't even align with BYU going to the Big 12, which is what BYU's big draw is going to be. Like, if you're a young quarterback, go on a mission, come back, you're going to be starting for a Big 12 team or competing for a Big 12 team. Jackson Dart's hoping he'd be suiting up in the NFL by the time BYU makes the move to the Big, to the big 12. So yeah, go play in the SEC, go play in the ACC, if you can, and go get a starting job somewhere else. We'll wrap up. Jake and Ben coming up next. Get you ready for Hans and Scotty G, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The sports you love. The teams you can't live without. Get us sent to urgency! This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. <laughs> Jacob Ben, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Homey. Finally, the way real estate should be. Full service local agents and you will save thousands. Homey, a better way to buy or sell. Let's give away some tickets to tomorrow night's jazz game against Detroit. 12th caller right now. You're going to the game. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. I feel like we teased that for a long time. Didn't we tease that in the second? We did. The second segment? This is six segments long. We waited till the sixth segment to give it away? We gave... Some away in the second segment, and now we're giving away in More? the sixth. More? Yeah. Two oh, pair. okay. I'm sorry. I don't pay attention that closely, obviously. Apparently not. Apparently not there, Ben. What do you expect? Uh, the Jazz are going to practice today. 
It's a get uh, what you need day. You know what? Honestly, I'm expecting. I'm I'm waiting for the news that we had a, a players only meeting. You think? Like we, I, the Jazz are at that point, right? That's never a good sign. No, it's not. But Rudy Gobert's calling out his teammates last Friday. Saturday, they come together and say, "We know what the problem is. We got to play defense." And by Wednesday, they forgot what they said on Saturday. Hmm. Like the, the my bads that have to stop that has been talked about last night was just every play was a my bad. Oh, I forgot to switch over. Oh, I forgot what defense we were playing. And Quinn Snyder, maybe our biggest failure we've had on this show today is that we haven't played Quinn Snyder's comments from the postgame show where he was the most pointed he's been about how bad his team is defensively. He said, we were double teaming when we didn't need to be double teaming. We were sending help when we didn't need to be sending help. We weren't, you know, blitzing when they needed to be. Like, he was pretty straightforward in how bad his team was defensively last night of guys just not paying attention to what the game plan is. And I don't know if they're not reading the scouting or he said that we didn't know who our personnel was. Did they not know that Garrison Matthews' only skill is to shoot the three? His, and not only that, he can shoot it out to 35 feet. Like, you have to pick him up at certain spots. And even then, like, the Jazz are picking up random guys. And I know... Eric Gordon can shoot the ball, too, obviously. like He's the second-best three-point shooter in the NBA. But the Jazz were picking him up at 43 feet. Like He's not a threat to burn you in that spot. Like You've got to back off him a little bit and then pick him up a little bit closer. But like where they're picking up guys is a mess. Where they're handing off guys on double teams. To the point where like you watch Daniel House play for five minutes, and you're like, this guy knows what he's doing. He, he understands some of the basic instincts of basketball on the defensive side of the ball that other guys don't. It's just it's weird to watch how bad some of it is defensively. And I don't know if it's because they're so in their own heads that they've stopped playing easy. They've stopped playing naturally, and they're overthinking every decision. I'm almost more inclined to think that's the case than it is that they just don't know how to do it. But, oh, I don't man, believe that. it's crazy. No, no, no. I don't believe that they don't know how to do it. But like the, every, they, they just they're doing so much wrong. It's bizarre to watch how many things they are doing wrong. Again, I tweeted it out. I went back and watched the third quarter, Jake. Just like play after play after play resulted in a different guy getting a wide open three and someone like scrambling on the Jazz defense. Like, ah, how did I forget him? It's like it was every single trip down the floor. They got seventeen threes in the third quarter. That would be sixty eight for a game. If you, if you sprinkled it out as an average over four quarters, 17 threes in one quarter, and they only made seven of them, they probably should have made 12. Like, it was, it was bananas how bad that defensive performance was from the Jazz last night. Well, I, I, I mean, I absolutely think it's a trickle-down effect. You know, what, let's say on a possession, you're Jordan Clarkson, Ben, and you're busting your butt, and Boyan Bogdanovich makes a mistake that leads to your guy getting an open three. Because you rotated here yes. and here and here and three passes down the line, your dude gets an open three because somebody else made a mistake. Then all of a sudden you're trying to overcorrect for that mistake the next time or you're hundred percent you care less because you look bad anyway, yes. so what am I yes. you know, what am I busting my butt for? Like all these things that it just compounds. And I'm sure that the third quarter you uh, rewatched last night was the pinnacle of the compounding nature of that type of thing. And I'm sure it drives coaches nuts because they're they're saying, We've talked about this, we've yep. gone over this, we talked about this specifically at this time, and you're still making this wrong decision. It's because to make the right decision, to break a bad habit per se, you have to focus on doing it, and then the default is not to do it. So when I look at player X making a mistake every time down the floor, well, maybe I'm going to try a little less hard because. Yes. Because who cares? Because who cares? Because who cares? And you know what? Credit to uh, the Houston Rockets. The Jazz actually, with that second unit that had Yudoka Azabuki in it, 
actually had a pretty good first quarter. Now, they weren't playing Trent Forrest in those minutes, I don't think. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at what the roster was. But the Jazz actually played pretty well in that first quarter with Doak in the rotation, and they erased that lead that Houston built early. And then by the time they got to the third quarter, Doak came back in after having that good first stint, and Houston just adjusted and said, well, we're not going to keep going at him. He's going to block all of our shots. We'll just stay five out. And the Jazz didn't adjust. Doak didn't adjust. The Jazz didn't adjust. But Houston did, and that's why they went on that big 18-1 to run. Can't give those up for whatever reason. It's happening a lot. Jazz are blowing a lot of 10-point yeah. leads. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of juice with the club. I've got to find that. Correct. There's there's zero juice with the club. Well, right you now. knew at some point the heartbreaking loss motivation was going to run out, right? There's only so much motivation you can take from, well, we're never going to let that happen again. And then it happens again. And yep. you go, oh, well, we're never going to let that happen again. And then it happens again. So at some point, you've got to find out where you're digging deep, right? But the problem, yeah, when you draw the line in the sand, which is what I think the Jazz did on Saturday or Friday with Rudy Gobert, and then you so easily erase it and say, well, now there's a new line in the sand, like it loses its, it loses its value. It does. And I think that's where the Jazz are right now, which is why I think I've exhausted my belief that this roster can get to the point where it says it's trying to. Because they just keep erasing the line in the sand that they go, can't go past. All right, uh, Hans and Scotty G are coming up next. Ben, you uh, enjoy your afternoon, sir. Thanks, Megan. You having fun doing the show, Megan? Is it all right? Yes, Jake, I am. Jake being nice Sorry. enough to you? A little stressful. No, you're good. Am I being nice enough? I'm the nice. I'm the nice guy on the show. You think so? You think that's true? Yes. Yes. Well, Hashtag we have, wet we bandits. Have, we yes. have different perspectives of this. Of this. I'm show. the nice guy. Didn't you ask Megan like last week? What do you think you're doing here? Why are that, you here? That's it. Why are you here? That wasn't me. All right. Hanson Scotty coming up next. Thanks, Megan. Don't yell at Megan. See you tomorrow. Off the air. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.